Here we are. It's 2023. And this week, we're going to look ahead to what we should be looking forward to in the world of spaceflight. And to help us do this, we're joined again by space historian and the founder and editor of the website Collect Space, Robert Pullman. Do you have any space-related plans for 2023? Let us know via our social media pages at Space and Things One on Twitter and at Space and Things Podcast on Instagram and Facebook or via the contact form on our website. And feel free to get in touch and tell us what you'd like from us this year. We've got 52 episodes to make, but right now, let's enjoy episode 123 of the Space and Things Podcast. Space and Things with Dave Giles and Emily Carney. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles, and welcome to episode 123 of our podcast. So, this week is very much a continuation of last week's podcast. In fact, they were recorded on the same day. But instead of looking back over 2022, this episode is looking forward. Can 2023 match 2022? Let's find out. And we're, of course, joined again by the editor and founder of CollectSpace, Robert Perlman. If you'd like to know more about Robert, then all you need to do is listen to last week's podcast. But, of course, check the show notes as well for links to his amazing website. But let's start this interview. That's beautiful. This has got to be one of the most proud moments of my life, I guarantee you. 2023 is upon us, and if the last few years have been anything to go by, it's going to have a lot of talking points. So let's start with the near future. Is there anything coming up in the first few months of the year which could get our listeners excited? 2023 is going to be an interesting year in that there isn't a whole lot planned in terms of it's not going to be a 2022, at least not as we're looking at it right now. But we do have some missions that will deliver some new results. I think it might end up being the year of the ro- of a, a brand new look at, at the moon from robotic eyes. Okay. There are going to be a couple of different companies, some contracted by NASA, that are going to try to land landers there for the first time as part of NASA's push to send humans there. And that's going to happen in 2023 for the first time. Astrobotic, uh, with its Peregrine lander, into uh, Intuitive Machines, with its lander IM1 uh, mission, I think we're going to see both of those land hopefully successfully um, in in the first half of 2023. We might see the first launch of a Vulcan uh, rocket from ULA in 20 in, in the first half of 2023. Uh, we will see the first hopefully the first crewed mission of a Boeing Starliner in the first yep. quarter or half of 2023. I think that might end up being a, a a big deal because it'll give us an uh, for the first time the United States will be operating two Earth orbit vehicles and they are they are wildly different in terms of how they're flown and what their capabilities are and so it'll be interesting to see how how that plays out. I think you know we'll see James Webb come back with we're sort of you know James Webb came back with some very early results because they had to because they have to show immediately it's working but it takes a long time to do discoveries. And so we'll get probably about halfway through 2023 when the first potential for real discoveries to come out in science papers and such about a year after a year and a half after deployment to give them uh, the the astronomers and and cosmologists a, a, a chance to do the work needed to find what's new um and so we might have a, a breaking 
uh, astronomy discovery that uh, an astronomical discovery that will make headlines. And then we have there's some asteroid missions. Osiris Rex will still be on its way back to Earth, so we won't see that this yet. Uh, we had a delay, I think, just recently to the oh, I just blanked on the name of it. It's a um, it's going to a metal all metal astro psych. Uh, so they they just got a delay, I think. Um, so we won't see that launch as soon as as we expected. But I think you know Vulcan la launching in twenty twenty three, and then maybe later in the year, Dream Chaser, uh, possibly um, if not you know early mm -hmm. in twenty twenty four. So I think both of those will be uh, you know high attention um, launches, and then maybe towards the end of the year, Ariane six from uh isa uh and, and Ariane spas um but we'll have to see how far they get on development there i was reading earlier is, is there any chance we might see a new glenn launch this year or do we think that's going to be later than in the next year i think new glenn could be late in 2023 still blue origin hasn't really provided an update in a long time in terms of where they are in development there we know that they were focusing engine development to deliver to vulcan first and I think we'll, they will wait for Vulcan to launch first before we really hear anything from New Glenn. I could be wrong, but I think that that'll happen. Oh, we will see the resumption of flights on New Shepard from Blue Origin. You know, they stood down after having a loss in twenty twenty two in September twenty twenty two. We will see the return of, of human flights probably in the first quarter of twenty twenty three, and we should see the return in late twenty twenty three of test flights, human test flights with Virgin Galactic. They've said that they're going to start up commercial operations in 2024 now, so that they'll have to do human testing first, and so we'll see those flights proceed later in the year. So the the other, the other big one, which seems to have been on hold throughout 2022, is obviously Starship. Ah, yes. <laughs> where, where are we? Do you know where we are with that? Because I know SpaceX can be tight-lipped there was a new video which came out the week we've we've filmed from above which was really quite stunning of some static engine firing but where are we with, with starship because obviously that's going to dominate once, once that gets going we all know that's really going to dominate the traffic really isn't it it will to a point they they face a, a significant technological hurdle with starship more so than they did with any vehicle that they've built to date a lot of things have to go right uh but then Unfortunately, unlike all other companies that work out there, SpaceX doesn't tip its hat to anything. So we don't hear about it until they're ready to do something. And then even then in testing, we don't hear about it. We don't know what the results are. Um, it's all speculation or, or you know, Elon offering a few tidbits on, on Twitter. But Starship will likely see an orbital test flight, if not more than one orbital test flight, in 2023. There's still some if about that in the sense that they still haven't gotten all the clearance they need to launch from Boca Chica, so we don't know if they can yet. So I just saw today a story that said that there might be a, a technical flaw that they discovered in testing uh, with the design of of super booster of the, the heavy booster, wow. which they may need to go back and fix. We have yet to get to a full full up engine test for the heavy. We've yet to get to a a hop for with the heavy and starship together those have to come before they can do an orbital flight probably multiple times so there's a lot of work to be done i agree that when it happens it will be a major story 
but even after it happens, then it, it then it opens up a whole world of questions, because for Starship to do anything other than put Starlink satellites into low Earth orbit, it needs to refuel, and no one's done that type of refueling um, in of Earth course, orbit yeah. before. Um, and so, I have faith that the SpaceX team, because they've shown that they can solve problems like this, but I think it's going to take multiple iterations to try to figure out how to do it best and how to do it safely and and proficiently and so it'll be very interesting to see how much progress they can make in a, in a year's time they you know they say they are on track nasa says they are on track to support a a demo lunar landing in 2024 and then a human landing in 2020 at the end of 2024 uh sorry no 2025 2025 2025 20 26 um but they still want to do that demo landing and they still want to do jared isaacman's polaris mission oh well there's a mission i forgot to mention from the start that we will have in the first or second quarter polaris one polaris dawn launching um which takes on a whole new significance now that they've talked about potentially on polaris 2 uh going out and and servicing or boosting uh the hubble space telescope it sort of goes from just a demo mission to something that's demoing for a very specific purpose. And so I think there'll be excitement there as well. And it'll be interesting because where whereas where Inspiration4 was a flight all about fundraising for St. Jude's and opening up space to individuals, that's not what Polaris is about. Polaris is about demonstrating new capabilities. Um, and so... The fact that it, it's not going to have a, it will have some element of, of a fundraiser for St. Jude's, but it's more about, you know, can we do a, a private spacewalk? Can we reach a, a higher altitude? Can we use Starlink to um, communicate in space? The fact that it's now got a technical purpose and it's not just about raising awareness, it takes on a whole different type of test flight perspective and i think the way the public views it will be that different as well and then also i should mention that sometime in 2023 we may learn when tom cruise is going to space (laughs) yeah i I just watched the trailer (laughs) or a behind the scenes look at the that the largest stunt they put out this week uh, a, a behind the scenes look at the largest stunt for the new mission impossible movie where he drives a motorcycle off the edge of a cliff in norway and then um, launches off the motorcycle into a um, into a parachute dive, and then you know is continued to, to be chased after he lands on the land. Um, and th- he did something on the order of four to five hundred parachute jumps just to get well enough accustomed to doing the jump so that they could meet his marks. Because what they don't you know what they point out in the video and what they don't what you don't re- you know re- remember when they're doing movies like that is that. It's not so much all. It's not just the stunt. It's that if you don't catch it on camera, it's worthless. So they had to know where to put the drones in relation to the motorcycle and him in order to capture close-ups. And when you look at what type of work they're doing on that, to then think about what they could do at the International Space Station is pretty exciting. And okay, so in 2023, we will see the first movie filmed in space. We will see the result of the Russians, the challenge being released probably because of politics it'll be released and i think originally they were going to release it all over the world i think we may have to wait to see it here in the united states um but Mm -hmm. it'll eventually land here um 
And that'll be another event, I think, because they did things in space that we don't normally get to see. But getting back to the original Starship, when Starship launches, I think that'll be maybe the event of the year. Yeah, I agree. I think it certainly looks that way anyway, doesn't it? Based on what we've seen when previous Starship things have happened. I'm waiting to see how much of a how how much of a Starship leads to people being more aware of why the N1 failed. Yeah. Ah, yes, of course. Um, for those who are listening who aren't aware, the N1 is the Soviet rocket built in the 60s that was the Soviet version of the Saturn V would have taken a crew to the moon. But after a few test flights, they couldn't get it working. It, it is very important to point out the N1 failed because they could not get the timing right on igniting all the engines on their first stage. And computers have gotten a lot better on that. But there's a lot of plumbing involved with feeding 27 engines or 37 engines. I forget what the latest count is. 31 engines. Given the past year's difficulties when getting SLS off the ground in terms of getting a single or a couple hydrogen leaks stopped, they're not working with hydrogen, but um, but it'll still be it be interesting to see how well they get off the first time off the ground. Which leads us nicely to the next question. <laughs> yes. So with Artemis dominating uh, much of the news throughout uh, 2022, but Artemis 2 is not due to fly until 2024, how do you think NASA is going to keep up the excitement throughout this year? And are we expecting a crew announcement anytime soon? We are expecting a crew announcement in 2023. They have said that it'll be sometime during the first quarter of 2023. I have a theory as to when that will be but I'm not going to embarrass myself by putting that out publicly. <laughs> but there's a couple of points to, if you watch the calendars that are out there in terms of what what they might be tying it to. But yeah, I do think that'll be one way that they will make the mission real by giving it a face, giving it four faces, th- three Americans and, and and a Canadian. I think we can figure out pretty much who the Canadian will be if you, if you watch who is in the Canadian space program. There's only four astronauts in the Canadian space program right now. One of only one of them has flown before, um, and only one other is is a veteran to the other two that haven't flown before. So I'll let people draw their conclusions there. But I think putting a, a face on the crew will help, you know, excite people. They'll probably be they'll probably get a lot of what used to be called weeks in a barrel, where they'll be sent out to do you know congressional testimony, and because there won't be a lot of training to do yet, so it'll be more about public and PR. Uh, get to know your your Artemis two crew. But you're right. There's a whole long time to wait between uh, now and then. And other than showing training updates when they're available, we're not going to get a whole lot. We're not going to get a. There's not going to be a green run. Um, so there's no. There's no engine firing to wait for. Uh, we will see pieces of the vehicle roll out, but a lot of the pieces are already in Kennedy Space Center, so you're not going to see that either. Mm-hmm. You know, we already have the Orion. We already have the European space, uh, European service module. We already have the SRB components in, at uh, at Kennedy. Um, you now have the engine compartment for the SLS there as well. So I think the you know it'll be up to NASA how much they want to use that as their how much they think they need public excitement around it up until the point that they're ready to launch. I think with Artemis One, one thing they they did was they tried to announced things early because they wanted to keep the excitement going and growing. But that a little bit backfired because by the time they were ready to launch, they had nothing new to announce. Um, They had revealed everything. We knew everything there was to know about the mission. And then the mission went really, really well. So there were no problems and 
it was just hey it's another day doing well <laughs> doing what it's supposed to not that i wish problems on any mission so i think we're just going to have to wait and see how nasa decides to approach this in terms of involving the public but i do think there might be a lull after they announce the crew yeah that, that is, i think it's a it's a tough thing they're going to have to get used to over the next few years have set up this artemis program with big gaps between missions and in the old days that was kind of manageable because as you said uh, when we were talking about 2022 there was less media less things going out now you have a 24-hour news cycle people get restless people want things now 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 they're used to on demand on demand tv on demand films whatever it is everyone's used to that kind of life and we've got to wait a long time and of course it's going to get delayed as well before that next mission so yeah it's going to be a tough one for them to to figure out on, on a pr standpoint in terms of keeping people excited about it and i think people will get excited about it as it gets close to it but they they need to ride high on this don't they they really do i think they do they do and i think they they can there are opportunities for them to set up a calendar of of announcements that would keep the public interested you know, naming the crew at first, you also got somewhere down the line, you know, naming the spacecraft, oh, you've got yeah. the mission patch reveal, you've got little things like that, that you could create into events. And then you've got the training itself, in terms of how much are you going to show us in their in their preparations. Now, Artemis 2 as a mission is not as it, it's a free return around the moon and come back, it's, they're not even entering orbit. And so part of it is NASA is going to have to explain why they're why they're attempting something that's not as as bold or as accomplished as what Apollo 8 did 50 plus years ago. And part of that has to do with technology about the ability for the or inability of the service module engine to take us in and out of near uh, a, a near lunar orbit. But that's something they can explain. And um, if they spend the time doing storytelling and building up that story, then yes, they could have these little announcements that are reveals that are scheduled for all the way up to 20 the end of 2024 and that will keep your public coming back for more but if they announce it all at once or they don't have a, a real if they don't have a firm concept of when do you announce what then uh it could get muddled i think they need artemis 2 to make a big splash to get the push from congress and the president whoever the president is at that point uh to push on to artemis 3 because that's a big jump so so this has got me thinking about your role. Uh, obviously, you've just spoken about how NASA have to be planning ahead and, and thinking about their announcements. So as the editor of Collect Space, do you spend that much time looking forward or is most of what you do reacting to what is happening? I'd say it's about 50-50. Um, I'm always you know, scanning the headlines to see or Twitter and everything else to see what's going on and you know when I have to jump on a story whether it's an important story or not. I mean, it, a good example from today, earlier today I was browsing Blue Origins gift shop and discovered they had put out bobbleheads for the first three women to fly on New Shepard. Oh, wow. And I knew that was going to be a fun story, so I wrote it up quickly to show the, the, the you know, you now get a Wally Funk bobblehead. Nice. And that was something I wasn't expecting, didn't get a release for, and just put it out there. Um, Sometimes I get releases ahead of time. Sometimes companies will contact me and say, we're going to announce this on you know, such and such a date. Can we work with you? Sometimes it's just knowing what the calendar is in terms of anniversaries are coming up. Um, it's going to it's gonna get a little more difficult with anniversaries. We could have, for the last couple of years, we've gotten spoiled by having 50th anniversaries of Apollo missions. 
And while I know I'm going to disappoint Emily, Emily with this comment, you know, Skylab anniversaries are just not going to cut it. <laughs> for our readership, it will, but um, the public, for whatever reason, unless we can find yeah. new angles, you know, there really was a coup. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I'll find a way to make it fresh. We'll figure something out. There is some opportunities there, but they won't be as big as the Apollo anniversaries. I think there will be some shuttle anniversaries that, that fall that will be interesting to see how people react to. Um, we're coming up on the 40th anniversary of the selection of the TFNG. Uh, I think that's the 40th or 45th. 45th, I think. 45th of, of TFNG. And I think that has some stories in it. And we might see some larger than expected attention to it. Is it the 40th anniversary of Sally Ride's flight this year? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So that might get that might get some coverage. How do you think um, anniversaries are best used to garner interest in events of the past? My experience has been over the last 20 years that where the public reacts best to anniversaries is where it exposes something they haven't seen before or it applies the lessons of that mission to a current mission or to something coming in the future, something that they can relate to now or some action that they can take now. I really, really hate writing what I call Wikipedia stories, which are just, here's what happened on the mission. Cause I can tell people, you can just go to Wikipedia and read that. I love mm. finding new crinkles in the mission, even 50 years later that you haven't heard yet taking just very small stories and and diving do, doing deep dives into them. And I love when others do that as well. I think the best thing you can do with an anniversary, especially if it's an anniversary that the public already knows that you don't have to explain what the mission was in the first part, is to then look at it through the eyes of today's lenses. Would we have done anything different? Could technology have changed the outcome? This won't be the anniversary that we're facing yet, but the the deorbit of Skylab, you know, could have been could Skylab have been saved? And that has been answered a couple of different ways over past anniversaries, but as to, as we advance in human spaceflight and we look at debris recovery missions and boosts like Polaris Dawn is proposing for the Hubble, you can make direct comparisons between what they're doing and what we could have done back in 1979. That is where anniversaries serve the best interest in grabbing the public's attention. The other thing is it sometimes inspires larger projects by that cross over into pop culture Sometimes you see documentaries, sometimes you see music uh, musicians take it on, sometimes you see museums stage exhibits. Um, and I think that's the other aspect of it, that if we can get a larger project started because of it, that's an even better way of engaging the public. So um, <laughs> with that said, do you not think the Skylab anniversaries are probably more relevant now? Than they than they used to be. I think the Skylab anniversaries are very relevant now in terms of how we we talk about the International Space Station and Gateway, but I think we've also but we've had because we've had Space Station now for twenty years, you know, or 20, 22 plus years. I think we've we've already had a couple of anniversaries past where we've asked those questions. The other difficulty we get with anniversaries, and it's it's a tragic one, is that the number of people that are around to do firsthand testimony is it, it, we're losing them. Um, mm. And so just go back 10 years and the last time we we had a large Skylab celebration, you had representatives of every crew. Well, will that will that be possible this this time around? It's getting harder to find ways of capturing that, you know, if you don't have a first, if you don't have first person any longer, how do you how do you retell history without the benefit of a someone telling you those stories? Plus, you also have to remember, even if you do have first-person testimonies and accounts, 
that they're they're now x amount of years se separated from the event yeah. and their memories may not be as reliable and they will be the first to admit that as well oh yeah so you can't solely rely because the person is alive on telling what 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 happened you have to find some type of new way of of fact checking and that's that's difficult as well yeah i get that because uh yeah sometimes oral histories are not reliable a lot of times oral histories are just how people remember it themselves and we all have our own version of history yeah. i won't name the person but there is a very prominent person from space history who once told me upon the publication of his book when i pointed out that there were some inconsistencies on what we knew to be had happened in what he had written, he said, well, this is not history as as it was, nor is it history as it as I remember it. It's history as it should have been. Wow. Wow. Okay. And I was like, really? Do you explain that in at the start of the book? He said, no, I just want readers to know that, you know, you're you're doing the interview. So you can you can tell your readers that, that this is how I viewed history should have been. And that book has now gone on to be cited by other historians. Oh God citing events that we now have, you know, three or four levels deep now of citations where they're saying something happened. And when you dig into it to find out, well, what, where did you verify that this happened? And you dig back and you get back to that book and you want to say, well, wait, <laughs> you're, you're basing that all on who that person was. You didn't pause enough to think, is he a reliable narrator? Wow. And we can fall into those traps inadvertently as well. I mean, I'm wearing my my splashdown cap from Artemis. So I just revisited this story about Navy um, ships and their hats. And that brought me back to an old collect space conversation where John Young sold his cap that he said he wore aboard the Iwo Jima for the recovery of Apollo 13. Back when that was sold, I went online to try to find a picture of him um, on board the recovery ship. And I couldn't find him nor any of the members of the backup crew. And um, I was like, well, he was the backup crew even there. And we couldn't find any photos of him being on the ship or any of them being on board the ship. And you'd think that if the backup crew was there, they wouldn't hide them. They would have him front and center. And at the same time, in his book, there's an account that says that he was in for the uh, Houston We Have a Problem call. He was standing behind Cy Labergott in Mission Control. And Cy says that he wasn't he there was yet. There. And then you look at photos and, and what available footage there is, and there's no sign of him in MCC. So in, in you know, in the, in the mission operations control room. So I, I don't think this is purposeful. I don't think that he set out to, to say, you know, something that wasn't true. I think it's how he remembered it. Yeah. And sometimes our memories are faulty. Um, yeah. We take what we see in pop culture and blend them into our own stories. And eventually they become so real that they become memories, even though they never happen. Yeah. Yeah, man, I've got examples of that where I have to catch myself being like, no, that's not how it happened. You've convinced <laughs> yourself that's how it happened. That's not how it happened. It's so easy to do. Okay, Robert, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We really appreciate it. And and thank you for all the work you do with Collect Space. It really is such an incredible website and such a great resource as well, which I think is what enthusiasts and people who use it love about it. It's a great place to go and learn uh, and find out and discuss things with people who know. And I think it's a wonderful place on the internet. And thank you for making making it happen. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And I, I, I long say that the reason collect space exists is because of the community that not just the collect space community but the the larger space community that exists 
because without the input from everyone, there'd be nothing to write about. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Excellent. And hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Hey, that's right. Get calm. I to maneuver with the gun. The only problem I have is I have got enough fuel. The only thing I wish is I had more. This is the greatest experience I've ever Right. Well, I'm now super excited about this year. I know it may not seem like there's as much going on as there was last year, but I just think I have a feeling it's going to be a good year. I'm seriously wondering, and I don't think they've released that if this is actually is going to happen or not, but I'm wondering if Polaris Dawn is going to be a Hubble repair mission by a private company, which to me is amazing and I think really useful. You know, I'm sure there are some people out there who are going to be like, oh, we should, re- you know, retire Hubble or just, you know, let it, dec- you know, whatever, stop working. But um, it's still incredibly useful for astronomy, even though there's a obviously JWST is out there now, right? But I still think yeah. it's incredibly useful. People still use it for research. They have different functions as well. They are doing different things. Yes, absolutely. Uh, JWST is primarily infrared. Hubble can take uh, pictures and other lights. So I'm really looking forward. I'm hoping that's what actually happens. I mean, it'll still be a pretty neat mission. They're going to do the first private EVA, which to me is nuts because we never had that you know, during the shuttle era even or anything like that. But um, it'll be cool if it does become a Hubble repair mission to see what that'll look like, you know, and to see the pictures from it, obviously. That'll be very yeah. exciting. So I'm pretty sure the, the plan is that the Polaris Dawn mission is, is kind of testing the idea of whether it could happen for the second Polaris mission to, to, to be a Hubble re- repair mission. Okay. I think that's the the what's being announced or being teased out. They're certainly talking about it being a Hubble repair mission, though, which would be amazing. And for those who aren't aware, the Polaris program is led by Jared Eisman, who funded the Inspiration4 mission in 2021, which was the first fully commercial orbital mission to space. He has since set up Polaris, which is set to be three missions, two Dragon flights, and then the first crewed flight of a Starship rocket. Jared seems pretty determined to push the boundaries of what commercial space can be. And it seems that SpaceX have found themselves the ultimate patron, because if he is willing to fund the mission to service and extend the life of Hubble, well, that's just ridiculous and incredible. It's sort of like the Gemini program for millennials, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. I say that I guess I'm a later millennial. I don't know what you would call me, but I'm it's kind of like the Gemini program for our generation, I think. Because, you know, it's got a smaller crew. It's low Earth orbit, but they plan to do high apogee low yeah. Earth orbit. So you'll get a bigger sense of what the Earth actually looks like. It looks really freaking cool. They'll have EVAs. I just can't wait until this all happens. So, and that's supposed to happen this year. Yeah. But there's a lot going on this year. And I'm really excited to see the Vulcan launch, the Vulcan uh, ULA launch. And uh, full disclosure, I do work for Celestis and we have two missions aboard that flight. Nice. The um, Tranquility flight. And we also have the Enterprise flight. Tranquility will be attached to the Peregrine lander with Astrobotic. Uh, which is the first commercial lunar lander ever in the history Amazing. of space flight. So that's going to be a big first. And the Enterprise flight is attached to the Centaur, which is going to go into deep space. And basically, it's going to have DNA. It's going to have uh, data. It's also going to have ashes on it. And it'll be really the first human outpost in deep space, like ever. 
crazy. So, um, that's going to be nuts. Uh, I'm going to be extremely busy during this time, but I'm really excited about it. It's, it's really cool, but yeah, Vulcan is going to have a lot of firsts attached to it. I think people think, what's well, a ULA mission? And, you know, I think people fail to find ULA exciting because it's not SpaceX or something. And, but my boss, Charles Chafer, we've had him on the show before. He actually went to go see the Vulcan at a, the ULA facility in Alabama. And he's like, it was enormous. Like it was huge. It's really going to be awesome. This launch is going to be a, you just can't miss it. So I'm really looking forward to that launch. It's supposed to go sometime in early 2023. I don't know of an exact launch date yet. From a personal perspective, I'm excited about that. But I'm I'm excited about a whole lot, lot more as well. I'm very interested to see what will happen with Starship this year. I don't know. I'm I'm interested to see more commercial spaceflight this year as well. And as far as NASA is concerned, I know they're, you know, working on Artemis 2. Very much looking forward to seeing who's going to be announced for that. So yeah. my money is on McDivitt, Schweikert, and Scott. So oh, sorry. <laughs> I think though, I think those those are fine. No, I'm joking. No, I'm really curious as to see who they're going to select because part of Artemis's, I guess, focus is to put the first diverse people on the moon, put the first, you know, woman, the first person of color, and uh, stuff like that. Because if we're just being blunt. You know, Apollo didn't have that. Apollo was all middle-class white guys. Of course, yeah. I want to see which woman is going to orbit the moon for the first time. So it'll be neat. We'll have our own sort of Frank Borman, Francine Borman, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> nice. It's going to be exciting. You know, uh, it, for me, you know, as a woman, you know, I love Apollo. And I'm not trying to make it sound like, you know, Apollo was sexist. Mm. It was a product of its time, you know, and I love Apollo. I love reading about it. It was all guys, but um, this will be really exciting to see who they announce and which woman's going to circumnavigate the moon for the first time. Yeah, I agree, uh, which, which does bring up something that, that came up at the end of last year, uh, the announcement of the Dear Moon crew, which is currently scheduled for 2023, which clearly isn't going to happen. This is the... Yeah, that ain't, that ain't gonna happen. But. Yeah, the the, the private uh, mission, which I'm annoyed I wasn't selected for. I applied to be part of that. I'm didn't, sorry, didn't yeah. even get an interview. Yeah, I think that's outrageous. I'm, I think they missed the trick. Yeah, there. I have a few things to say about the selections, but okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, let's let, let's briefly get into that. So obviously, this is the mission. the The Japanese billionaire has hired a starship to go around the moon. The plan was to take a diverse crew of artists and different kind of people that would normally get to go on, on such a mission uh, to get a different perspective. And they've announced 12 people, of which eight of the crew, and then there's some backups. So uh, what were your thoughts on, on that crew? I mean, I, I just want to say it's great to see that Tim Dodd's on, on, on. Yes. I mean, he's such a great space enthusiast and person. And I'm sure so many people have, have enjoyed Everyday Astronaut and the content yeah. that he creates and his excitement I think he's going to be amazing to have on there. I think that's amazing. I agree with you 100%. I think he's an amazing ambassador for spaceflight. Absolutely. And I'm very happy he he made it onto that crew. So I'm very happy he made it personally. I was a little disappointed. Um, I only saw one woman on the prime crew. I think there's one woman on the backup crew. And I was very disappointed in that. I didn't notice as much like diversity and people of color as I would have liked people from, you know, sort of different backgrounds and things like that. I just felt it was more guys. 
you know, so personally, I mean, they could have done better. They could have done better. Yeah, exactly. That's all I got to say. They could have done better on that. I pointed this out to my girlfriend and she said, well, we don't know who applied, but you know that it wasn't just men who applied. Yeah. I know historically there have been issues with women taking up science and engineering, although even NASA are proving that there are more than enough yeah. qualified women who can be astronauts. But this mission isn't even looking for engineers or scientists. It's looking for yeah. artistic people. And while creative industries have their own issues, there's been a lot higher uptake yeah. from women in those industries. So I just don't buy it that there weren't people who applied. I don't buy it. Well, if you look at NASA, for example, you know, one of, I don't know if it was the last astronaut class or the class before, but usually they're 50-50. Usually it's 50 male, 50 female, which is great, which is where we would like to be, you know, but um, you got to think probably thousands of people applied to be astronauts and they only accept, you know, maybe a few, you know, 10, you know, out of that how many ever 10,000 people I'm guessing. Yeah. 10,000 apply, but there's going to be at least 500 to a thousand who are qualified. Yeah. There's who gonna... could have been given probably yeah. more. Most of the people who apply probably could do it. Yeah. And there's probably tons of people who are qualified applicants who fit the bill either, you know, and, and were women or were people of color, you know, I mean, I can name off the top of my hand, you know, several creative women who should have made it to Dear Moon, who probably applied, is my guess. Yeah. I could name off the top of my head, you know, women yeah. who are deserving to get that kind of thing. But yet, no, I, I thought I, I they could have done better. That's all I got to say about it. I wasn't really happy about that. I'm glad Tim made it. Yeah. I know we're supposed to be looking ahead. There's an offshoot of that story, which we haven't spoken about because we haven't had a chance to because I was away. The, the East astronauts that got announced. Yes. It's a, it, right, great to see you know, lots more females going to be involved in the, in the European astronauts. Fantastic. It's still a very white lineup. Yeah, it's very uh, Caucasian. It really is. It really and is. Dr. Kevin Fong, who's the actually the the guy who did the 13 Minutes to the Moon podcast. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So he's of Asian descent. He got down to the final few people, like the, the finalists, I guess, for, for ESA astronauts. And, and he didn't get it. So what's that all about? Like, he's a doctor. It, He's, yeah, I mean, I, I know he'd be one of many people that were qualified enough to do it, and he shouldn't he shouldn't get just because he did a really good podcast and all that kind of stuff, and that he's got name recognition. It's not what I'm saying, but what we're saying is there are people who are qualified who aren't just white, who could have got that job, yeah, who didn't get it. We just want better going forward. We want better. We want yeah. more representation across the board. It's important. Yeah. We want more it's real important. faces and real people. <laughs> You know, represented, represented, yeah, represented. Versus just one type of person. You know, that's yeah. what I'm trying to say. Exactly. Hopefully this year we'll see more of that as other things get announced. And hopefully Artemis is going to lead the way with that as we as we were talking about. And I think Blue Origin in the past year has done a good job. Um, they Great had the job. First, uh, they had the first Mexican female astronaut aboard one of their missions. And I just love it. She's kind of like a, a hero in Mexico now, which which is awesome. And she's a great ambassador for space flight and just for STEM in the world. I, I want to say uh, she has worked on several NASA missions. She's also an electrical engineer. I love seeing that. You know, I love seeing somebody 
you know, go back mm. to their country or go back to their culture and just become sort of an emissary for this kind of stuff. I want to see more stuff like that and not just tokenism. I don't want to make it sound like I want to see tokens. I, I feel like somebody like her is truly like just representing what this is all about. And but that's that's the whole point, is it? And that's what we're saying. It's not tokenism when people are getting a job because they're qualified to do it. All the people qualified. that we're saying that that there's there's more enough people that are qualified from all different backgrounds. Exactly. We're talking about such few numbers that are actually going to do it. They don't all have to be white. They don't all have to be men, because those other people are applying. So yeah. why aren't they getting it? Exactly, exactly. It does make sense. More inclusivity. I totally agree with you. I want it to look like Star Trek. I'd like it to look like that, where you have, you know, somebody like Lieutenant Uhura, you know, is is the communications officer. She is in charge of that, you know, and, and it's not something that's looked upon as, wow, this is an exception, you know, where I really feel like that's how it's still kind of looked at today. And it's like, yeah, 20 it's 2023. Nope. Sally Ride was 40 years ago. Come on now. Yeah, we can do better. We can. Yeah, exactly. You know, we have the tools that we can do better as well and the knowledge that we can do better. I totally agree with you. Absolutely. All right. So my, my own personal goal, I'm going to be in Florida for, in, in, for two weeks in May. Awesome. Awesome. I am hoping to see a, a launch because as an adult, I've not seen a launch. So I am hoping that that is what's going to happen. That's my personal goal. I've got two weeks. There are so many launches going out of Kennedy at the moment that surely I'm bound to see a launch in two weeks. Seriously, if you go down there, you should be, barring, you know, horrible weather, you should be able to see and hear one. My goals for 2023, oh God, I have a lot of them. Um, get some sleep. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> my goal in 2023, and I'm not going to say what they are yet, but I have two books that I'm working on with collaborators right now and my goal is to finish them amazing that is my goal please very pray. cool everybody please pray for me because i'm going to be <laughs> dead once this is over it's going to be a lot of that's a lot of work it's a lot and plus on top of everything else but yeah i am committed to doing it amazing all right i wish you all the best for that i also think we gotta have a a, a podcast goal emily uh, and our podcast goal has got to be that we make the world aware of the 50th anniversary of the Apollo Soyuz mission in two years' time. Yes. Um, there's also another 50th anniversary. <laughs> oh, you thought I was... <laughs> you saw my... Did you see my face change? What yeah. Happened? Did you see my face? Like, I got happy, and then I was like... <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I got you. Got of me. course I meant Skylab. Of yeah. course I meant it. I feel like that's got to be our goal. I feel like you're the best person uh, to be doing it, and we're going to try and make it happen. We're going to try and make a big deal out of the Skylab 50. If you'd expect nothing less from us, I don't think, listeners, I think you'd expect nothing less, but we're going to do our best. Yeah, we need to make a Skylab 50th very happy because the Apollo 50th had great celebrations, but um, Skylab 50 deserves its own special celebration. So we're definitely going to do some amazing shows about that. So the rest of this episode was all recorded before Christmas, but I'm just jumping in the day before uh, the podcast goes live. So I've just reopened the files to uh, make this little 
addition to this episode. Unfortunately, we had some sad news to start this year. Walt Cunningham passed away earlier this week uh, at the age of 90. He was part of the Apollo 7 crew, which obviously makes him one of the heroes that we like to celebrate from the Apollo era. We'll be doing this in a hell of a lot of detail next week, but I just wanted to pop in saying and let people know who perhaps hadn't heard uh, that unfortunately Walt Cunningham has passed away. Uh, and for those of you who had heard who thought it was odd that we hadn't mentioned it, we're going to be covering it next week. So, so, yeah, sad news, I'm afraid. We lived in the golden age of manned spaceflight. We've been in space now for over 40 years. The first 40 years of aviation, we went from just barely flying to, to jet transports, you know. And now, we haven't moved that far since we went into space. The days through Apollo will be remembered. There'll never be another time like that again. Even when we go to Mars, it will be different. Right, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week. And we'll be back to our regular weekly recordings. It feels like forever since we've been doing this weekly. Which means more of the What Caught My Eye This Week section, which I really enjoyed doing those when we were started doing those. So more of that. Uh, while I was away last month, I did get to meet up with some of our listeners and Patreon subscribers, which was really amazing. In fact, I just want to thank Don Irwin uh, for giving me some leaves from a moon tree he visited, which is amazing and some photos of that place uh, and information about it uh, it seems like such a small thing but but it was so cool and i'm so happy i've got them right here uh, it's such a special gift thank you don for that anyway um during one conversation it may have been with don um i was asked about what we mean when we thank people who share the podcast and what was the best way of doing it. So there are so many ways you can share what we do. The obvious one is just by posting a link on your social media feeds. However, this isn't always as useful as you may intend, as algorithms that the big social media companies use often suppress links that go to another site from their own. So you can post something and only a few people will see it. That doesn't mean it's not useful. It absolutely can be useful. And if you're willing to do it, we love you for doing it. So the way I try and explain it to people is that thinking about just one person is often more effective. So if you know someone who you think that person might be interested in a space podcast, either our complete back catalogue or maybe just one episode might be on a topic which they're interested in. For example, we had that episode with Stephen Walker about animals and how they were used in the early space race, or the episode we did about growing plants in lunar regolith, which may be of interest to your botany-loving friends. Now, once you've thought of that person, the thing to do is to tag them in the comments of our episode, or even better, share that link with them directly to their inbox, or send a text with them saying, you might like this. That's what is most effective when we're asking people to share share the podcast. And if everyone can find one extra person to listen to one episode or a few episodes, that makes a massive difference to what we can do going forward. Unfortunately, the world is very numbers driven. And even if you don't know anyone else who might be interested just by listening, you're making our day. And if you fancy yeah. doing something else just to help us out then make sure you've given our podcast a review. You can help give ratings out of five on most podcast platforms 
and some allow for more extensive reviews. So if you have a moment, please do that for us. Anyway, we'll be back next week. And until then, don't forget, in space, no one can hear you me. Space and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions.